You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. 40 years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupko of Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, Rabbi Pupko. Um, as the Jewish year sort of gets into its last month here, this final month of Tufshin down, and we come to El, well, we know that basically the Israeli politicians are just itching because we know, oh, we can't have the elections before the Yom and Tovim. There's too much, uh, especially in the religious world, of people getting ready, uh, getting ready for the holidays, the amount of exp- expenditure, the energy, the travel, whether it's from people going to Chutzlords or people Chutzlords coming back. Once that dust settles, so to speak, the Hadassim leaves and Aravis leaves settle and the sukkahs get taken down, what happens next is election time. And nobody knows better than you uh, how those winds are circling. You're able to discern already uh, the moving and shaking the, the that's going on in order to I guess Netanyahu hopes that he will prevail in this election. And based on what I, a conversation I had with you previously, you mentioned that he's putting the pressure on a couple of young, important Israeli uh, politicians who both happen to be people who wear kippot, people who are part of the, in a way, we would say from our brethren, so to speak, but they represent very interesting different modalities. So why don't you uh, let us let us in on to what's going on? Let's do what's going on now, and let's do the backstory later. So what's going on right now is that according to all the polling, um, this is, again, we know this is the fifth election in a short time period. Uh, every previous election in this midst of this uh, moment have created two almost equal blocks. Uh, very difficult for anyone to form a government the first three times. The fourth time, it was only with the inclusion of an Arab party that a government was formed, a very strange government. You had a government that was led by Prime Minister Bennett and now led by Prime Minister Lapid that was cobbled together uh, with a party that uh, is that campaigned to the right of Likud, Yamina, that joined forces with Merits and an Arab party uh, to, to create a government. And the government is still around till November 1, uh, but the government has fallen. Uh, and uh, it fell because uh, people from Yamina, the right-wing party, under enormous pressure from their constituents, and, and some of that pressure is certainly legitimate, who felt betrayed by this alliance with the left and with the Arab parties, Brought the government down. Okay. All the polling. So Yamina has basically is disappearing from the political uh, uh, scene. Uh, Bennett has already resigned, not only for as prime minister, but from politics in general. Ayala Shaked is left with the rump party. According to the most polling, they won't cross the 3.25% threshold necessary to have a delegation in the Knesset. And what brought that what brought the government together was not policy, as is obvious. The Armenian merits have little in common on policy. What brought them together was a shared desire to move past Bibi. In other words, people who had partnered with Bibi in the past or 
would have been considered likely partners of BB in the past, refused to sit with him. That was Yamina. That was a Victor Lieberman's party as well. They are traditionally on the right, but they were united in their absolute commitment not to allow BB to be prime minister. And in that, they succeeded briefly again, but they succeeded. And now we have another election because of the inherent contradictions of that coalition finally fractured the, the coalition. Well, yeah, now we can talk a, about. Wait, wait, wait a second. Two, let me just interject with two things, uh, which gives you a chance to swallow whatever you're reading there. Um, the, the, <laughs> okay. The first thing, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, gulp it down, buddy. Gulp it down. Okay, but here's the thing. Um, the, the Yamina, which I, my kids voted for, my, my son uh, and daughter-in-law voted for, I believe, was, as we know, head, headed by Bennett to war Kippa. Ayala Chaket also uh, is, I, I believe, a Shemera Torah Mitzvot. I think this really aligned itself with a clarion call that you let out at the end of our last program, which was, don't make the party about religiosity. Right. Right. And we're, we are religious. We keep Shabbos, et cetera. But this is really about a, a political perspective that Herzl would have been happy with. Yes, we are religious. Yes, we do keep mitzvahs. We're not going to be Machal Shabbos. But that's not what our, 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 our sites are set on. So it's interesting that Yamina was sort of like the type of thing you were envisioning. Right. And yet, and yet the, it failed. It failed right. miserably. I mean, even again. to the point, even to the point that, of what you just said, which I had heard before, but I never got a chance to discuss with anyone, is that I mean, I, I'm leaving politics. I mean, I mean, Tricky Dick came back and became, of course, this the, the nefarious president that he was, or the great president that he was. Even when he said he's throwing, he's, you're not going to have Tricky Dick to kick to kick around anymore. But so we don't know what Bennett's future is. But clearly, he seems to be at least at this point. Um, you know, very disenfranchised or, or about what it was. Right, again, but it, it all boils down really to one thing, which is Yamina governed and formed, uh, informed a, a government in direct opposition to the ideology and aspirations of his voters, of their voters, I should say. The Yamina voters did not expect Bennett to sit in the government with Merits and the, and the Arabs, right. the Arab party. Never, never imagined that. What they did succeed in getting BB at least temporarily out of the prime minister's office, but there's only so far you can go uh, and be successful and, and and deviate from what your uh, natural constituents and your actual voters uh, are hoping for. Now, you know there are arguments about you know BB legitimized making a deal with the Arabs. He was about to as well, but 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 whatever it is. But the point is, you mean the voters feel betrayed, and they're looking elsewhere. But again, I, I think there's a much larger picture here, which is when you were a, a young man, the National Religious Party had a dozen seats, sometimes more, led by stalwarts like Yosef Borg, right? The old Mizrahi party, dominated by, the, by an Ashkenazic moderate religious Zionist. And where are those people today? Do they still exist? And, and and where do they, how do they vote? Where do they go now? So listen, you, we can talk about a lot of things. You can talk about how when Menachem Begin wins as prime minister, a lot of religious Jews begin voting for Likud because uh, that certainly expressed their security aspirations. Menachem Begin was a very traditional, a, a Torah observant Jew. 
and, and therefore garnered some of that support. And but but what more importantly, I think what's happened is Oslo, and more importantly, the Gaza withdrawal shattered before, the before. idea of religious Zionism in the mind of a lot of young, a lot of young Datitsoni Jews in Israel, because they saw it as a betrayal of Zionism. They saw it as a betrayal of the pact that Rabbi Cook dis- described, which is these secular Jews may not be perfect, but they have an aspiration for Eretz Yisrael and we have to join with them. There's something sacred in their goals, even if not in their lifestyle. And th- therefore we can make a deal with them. When when Israel, when Eric Sharon withdraws from Gaza, all of a sudden you have a religious Zionist camp that says, no, we got to go alone. We can't trust the secular Israeli with uh, our, our aspirations and our security aspirations, because look, they gave up the land of Israel, portions of the land of Israel. They evacuated settlements. They tore down synagogues. They moved right the graves of our, you know, of our families. That was an enormous betrayal in the minds of many religious Zionists. So they're looking for another home, or even right. another ideology, I should say. Um, so, go ahead. Right. You know, it's interesting that even, you know, people obviously looked at uh, the Rav or Salvatric as uh, the premier um, uh, English speaking spokesman for uh, the religious Zionist mentality in the 1950s and 1960s. Yet his son-in-law, of course, was not a clone of his father-in-law. Rev. Arne Lichtenstein actually uh, sanctioned and explained to perhaps the Talmidim why the Hisnatkut was a, a halachically viable and important right. uh, option. And, 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 and the Hisnatkut, like, and, and I know my, even my daughter and others who in my family uh, formed human chains back then to stop it from happening. Uh, we all remember the video of, of the shuls that were torn apart, but there was... Uh, there was already a ideological, um, and, and let me just connect this to something you said before, an ideological justification of, look, the generals know what they're doing. They realize that there's an ideal and there's also the facts on the ground reality, which, which I think it, it, I think the bridge here I'm making is not rickety. I think it's a true bridge. The idea is, yes, we understand that the Arabs are on record, still have brothers and cousins that are committed to putting us into the sea. But the practical reality is, is that we can keep the country functioning where it's not just that lager jams consistently. So even though there's a betrayal of certain ideological ideals, but you have a country that is at least moving. And since the country is actually getting things accomplished, and done, the country is inherently more healthy than one that is holding on to ideals that are very elevated, but don't necessarily match the 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 the, the dynamism of what's going on on the ground. What's going on, on the ground is we're all fighting, nothing gets done. So, all right, we have to sit with these Arabs never, but at least the GPA is 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 is, is, is stronger. There's a certain greater sense of, uh, of right. Of, of, of but certain- I, I would say the following. Personally, I was I I, I I've made I, I've made some mistakes in my life. The, no, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, it's when I think I made a mistake, but it turns out I was right. But there are some mistakes. I, I supported the Gaza withdrawal, and I was wrong. 
And I was proven wrong because what Eric Sharon promised at the time didn't happen. What he said was one rocket comes, boom, you know, it's over. And that didn't happen. Immediately, Gaza was used as a launching pad for missiles and for kidnappings in the early months, if you remember. And the fact that Israel has had to have continuous conflict with Gaza, in fact, proves the Gaza withdrawal as an error. Now, on the other hand, we don't have to protect soldiers there anymore or, or people living there anymore. You know, but the fact is, due to the smuggling from Sinai, there's a continuous flow of weapons into, into Gaza, which are of increasing technological uh, sophistication, which target, which, which can be used against Israelis. And the, the very need for Israel to continue to have conflict, whether it's with Hamas or Islamic Jihad, uh, you know, is a, certainly a repudiation of the thinking and of the arguments for the trial. But more important than that, I don't want to say more important. The other effect was, for the first time, you had young religious Zionists, children and grandchildren of the old-fashioned religious Zionist moderate, who then started talking about, well, we don't, we shouldn't serve in the army if the army's going to evict settlers, right? Who were, who, who felt betrayed so deeply by the state that the state institutions, which Rabbi Cook had held up as expression of a subconscious holiness, could no longer be viewed that way. And, and then you have this fracturing on the right. So you have a several problems. In other words, the old religious Zionists were, you know, in Ashkenazic elite, so where did the Spartan go? So the Spartan go start voting, uh, you know, decades ago already uh, for Shas. Some, a lot of Spartan vote, obviously, for Likud. Um what will happen in this coming election, we don't know. But now you have on the scene what would be called the old days, the old-fashioned religious Zionist led by a guy named Smotrich. And you have a more right-wing party led by a disciple of Mayor Kahana named Smotrich. No, I'm sorry, named Ben Gavir, a, 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 a Spartan Jew with Moroccan roots, who is now garnering more and more support. Now, who's voting for Ben Gavir, this very extreme right-wing figure? Who is voting for him? He's getting votes from Haredim, which explains why, even though there's an explosion in Haredi population, why Haredi votes haven't gone up. Right? Haguda still has the same number of seats for years because young Haredim have been Zionized. They're now voting for the tough guys on the right because that's where their political instincts lie. And and, and then you have the, the children of the old uh, uh, religious, uh, religious Zionists who have either moved to the right with, with Smotrich, with, I'm sorry, with Ben Gavir, or have moved to a more centrist party, you know, somebody like Gideon Saar, Matan Kahana, a right-wing uh, right wing member of Yamina, left Yamina and has now joined Gideon Saar's party, where Eisenkot now is. So he's attracting votes away from, in other words, the original religious Zionists that were a tree from which many branches had sprung, like Yamina and other parties, that tree is now shrunk. And what you have in its place is Ben Gavir on the extreme right. Bibi's yelling and screaming that Ben Gavir and Smoker should make a deal. Why is he screaming? Because he's afraid that there is support for the religious Zionists, meaning Smoters, have withered to the extent they may not pass the threshold. And those are wasted right-wing votes. And if they're wasted votes, we all know a margin of one or two seats decides the election. And if they join together, maybe you'll have less wasted votes. But again, it's what we really are witnessing here is a near complete collapse of the traditional religious Zionists, voting bloc, 
that has splintered between different parties. Some have gone to Likud, some have gone to Shas, some have gone to uh, to Ben Gvir, uh, wherever they've gone. The traditional and also that very demographic is less significant demographic, you know, in, in, in population. I mean, how many old guys are there still living in Rahavia, you know, you know, davening at the assurance show? Uh, I mean, that, that that's that's a dinosaur. So it's um, so you, what you're really seeing is a, a very serious shift in, in, in voting pattern to the religious Zionist community. Okay. Well, you know, we, we mentioned before, I mentioned before about why Bennett would sit on such a coalition. Let's get this thing moving. Let's get a government at least that works. I'm not sure, again, the report card, obviously, he didn't have such a great grade as far as that goes. But the but even Yair Lapid, who is from Meretz, uh, did, I wouldn't call no, he's it... Not, well, he's not Meretz. He's, uh, he, he has his own party. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But well, let's say he's oh, sort of a merits-like figure, let's say. Um, he's a merits-like figure on religion, not on politics. He's a centrist when it comes to foreign policy. Okay, so he is, because I thought Yair Lapid, um, former television newscaster, I believe, uh, still quite a photogenic, handsome fellow, um, I thought that he was was sounding pretty tough about making concessions, that he was not a peacenik at all. In fact, the Sholem Achshav Hever, I think, are, are, are almost... Do they even have any sort of voice in Eretz Yisrael? Listen, the, the traditional left is in a complete state collapse. Been sidelined since the collapse of Oslo, because what young Israelis, when I say young, I mean anybody old enough to remember the Intifada in the early 2000s, what they know is they know a couple of things. Number one, they know Oslo failed. They know it failed because the Palestinians lied when they said they wanted peace, when they when they used the collapse of the Oslo talks as a pretext to launch a horrible series of attacks. Everything from the Dolphinarium to the Park Plaza Hotel, Momin Cafe, and all those attacks that happened in, in, in the Intifada of the early 2000s, 20 years ago, is that they know a couple of things. Number one, their government writ large has tried everything to make peace. And that has increased Israeli morale. You remember 30 years ago, the big story was morale in the Israeli army, which was never all that true. But you don't hear that story at all anymore. Because young Israelis, right, left, center, religious, secular, young Israelis know their government did everything. They offered 92, 97, 99% of the territories, Barak, Omer, right? Everybody offered everything. And it didn't work. So on the one hand, as terrible as Oslo was and a complete disaster, the one thing that came out positive was that young Israelis can't be persuaded that their government needs to do more. They've done more. That self-same dynamic has led to a complete collapse on the left. Because, I mean, you have to suffer from amnesia to believe that an Oslo-like process is possible today. They know everything's been offered and rejected. They're not living in London or at the United Nations. They know the truth. They they remember growing up with their mothers crying at the bus stop when they got on the bus to go to school because they were nervous. They remember that. They know it very well. And they're not going to forget it. And, the, and, and so, you, so the left is completely, completely marginalized. I would say maybe the left enjoys support from 15% of Israelis. But on the other hand, what we would call the right wing, Right. When I say right wing people who wouldn't give up an inch of Yehudim Shamlon, no matter what, even if Mahmoud Abbas turned into, uh, you know, whatever, uh, you know, uh, uh, some, you know, Gandhi, 
even if a bus turns a gun, uh, the, the number of the number of Israelis who wouldn't give an inch are probably about thirty percent. Most Israelis, about sixty percent, know there's no chance of peace today. But if the world changed miraculously, the Palestinians could be trusted, whatever that means, they would be willing to consider serious territorial compromise. But right now, that middle sixty percent says we'd love to get rid of you know the obligation to control the lives of Palestinians in the territories, but there's no one we can trust to hand it over to. That's what most Israelis believe. According to, you know, everybody who has studied these things. So, you know, it sounds, you know, what we haven't really talked about, and maybe we, this could sort of be our, our, our you know, how we end today. Um, Bibi is telling them to get together. Obviously, Bibi, like, as we talked about last week, or about Trump, um, Bibi is obviously has thrown his uh, his gloves have never left the ring, and he is hoping that he can come back and lead the lead the country. Um, clearly, there was a lot of uh, personal angst and sense of of hurt that others had to him. These were people he called them their proteges, but as we all know from all our Rosh Hashiva, who were very disappointed that we left them, that part of the problem was. They wanted to dominate us and didn't want us to let us grow. They didn't want to know when they should sit on the side and let us have the field of play, which is the normal progression of what we talked about last week with Trump and Biden. So oh, isn't a lot of it basically, let's get BB off here? There's no question you are right. That if, if BB after the last election had said, for the sake of the country, to avoid a left-wing government, I'm going to resign. There would have been a solid, solid right-wing religious bloc that included Yamina. Uh, it would have included uh, the, the, the religious Zionists. We could. It would include the Haredi parties. But you had a situation where either the, the parties that could have made that government said, we won't sit with Haredim or we won't sit with Bibi made that government impossible and created this miraculous construction of, a, of, of an Arab party sitting with Yamina just to deny Bibi the, the chair. If Bibi stepped aside, there is no question there'd be a solid right wing and a religious Zion, a religious party with a religious Zionist, the Haredim. There'd be a solid thing, but the, 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 the the, the promises that some leaders have made, like Lieberman, not to sit with Bibi or not to sit with Haredim, have made that you know impossible. If Bibi stepped aside, in other words, the parties that refused to join Bibi didn't refuse to join it because Likud was too right-wing. In some ways, it was too left-wing for some of those parties. They refused to join because it was led by Bibi. So why can't why doesn't he understand? He is not a Trump. He's not like Trump. Why doesn't he understand that, look, he had a great run. Maybe his history will look very, very favorably at his very long tenure as prime minister. And- I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Number one, he's not wrong when he says that he is Israel's most capable uh, uh, political leader and most capable uh, represent, uh, you know, capable that he's Israel's most capable figure to deal with on the international arena. He's correct in that, whether it's Putin or whether it's the president of the United States. He has proven himself remarkably capable. And I'll tell you, I once had a conversation, not me directly, it wasn't, I was the only one there. A few of us were in a room with this, with the Haaretz, the journalist, Amos Harel, who was certainly anti-BB. 
And after a half hour screen, is that before or pre, I don't remember which election, a couple of years ago. And he said, you know, as much as he, he went on and on again, BB, BB, BB. But then he said, this is the Harris guy. He said to us, he said, but I'll tell you the truth. If there's a crisis at two in the morning, right, that mythical 2 a.m. phone call, I'm much happier BB's there than anybody else. He is remarkably capable and remarkably brilliant. He has the personality flaws in terms of the, the loyalty that it demands from the people around him and everything else. But he's remarkably capable. You know, the economic miracle of Israel, he should get a lot of credit for that. The Im- improvement in this, in, in, in the integration of Arabs in Israel, he gets to get a lot of credit for that. The Abraham Accords, he gets a lot of credit for that. And, um, and, and, and people recognize that. So people who swear they'll never vote for Bibi, having at least in the past walked into the voting booth and said, oh, I hate Bibi, and then push the button for Bibi because they know they may not like him. They may think, you know, he's a nutcase on certain issues or with certain the way he deals with people, but they know at the end of the day, what matters to me most as a Jew living in Israel is whether or not my children are going to be secure. And they trust Bibi with that more than anything. He could be still a voice that could give advice and other things, and 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 really, because at least this way, the this the government functions. Uh, there is not there's less rancor, uh, and as you Listen, say, there's no question. Maybe you maybe maybe you should uh, send them a little letter. Maybe you should Im- listen to the, our podcast. The impulse not to give your enemies a victory is very powerful, and BB stepping aside rewards the people who he feels betrayed. Although they will tell you a very different story. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it's 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 it, there are, you know, Lincoln had the, the most Lincoln, the most impressive statesman of our history of a presidency. It's clear to me that you know, even though when he was elected, there was no term limits, he would have been under. He 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 would have withered away as well. There would have been as great as he was. <laughs> Listen, Winston Churchill lost the first election after winning World War Two. Yeah. So this is what happens, <laughs> and this is something which which if a person really has uh, any shred of of nobility and understanding, you can't keep on accru- saying to yourself, "Well, I'm the only one that can save it. I'm the one that can save it." You know, he, there, there needs there. Find someone who's one of his disciples or someone else, someone who had been there and and try to mold that. Or at least even these two fellows that you talked about, why not trust in human beings? Yes, they're not going to do it exactly like like you, you know, uh, but By the way, I, I would I would argue that Bennett did not a bad job. Bennett handled a lot of things quite nicely. He's a brilliant guy. He also knew when it was time to step aside. He's taken a back seat to Lapid. I mean, he's not a bad guy, and I don't think he, he did poorly. I, I, I agree with you. If maybe there was more space, more opportunity, you'd see other people. But again, you, you remember when Jimmy Carter was elected in the States. Why was Jimmy Carter elected, right? Because of why Watergate. Was Bill, because of Watergate. Reasons. Why did Bill Clinton get elected? Bill Clinton got elected, right? Why? Because the Soviet Union had collapsed, and therefore people could indulge their other priorities by electing a untested governor from Arkansas, right? Because, you know, the, the Soviet Union, all right, we'll move on from that. We don't need a, a guy who's an expert in foreign policy or military affairs. We can move on. The point is Israel is not at that point. 
where they can indulge anything other than their security concerns. With Iran, on, you know, still very much a threat. With Hamas in Gaza, Israelis generally don't have the luxury of indulging their ethnic passions by voting Shas, their religious passions by voting Aguda. They go ahead and they know what's most important, which is security. And that's how BB ends up winning, because they don't have the luxury to do what Americans did by voting Bill for electing Bill Clinton. Well, again, you know, it, it's it's strange, especially when we think about, uh, you know, Bibi's military career. I don't know if it was super distinguished, but it's interesting how Benny Gantz and others who actually had a higher rank than him uh, and Ayud Barak as well, I think, had a pretty oh, high sure. rank. Yeah. Ayud Barak was Bibi's commanding officer. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting that they, despite the fact that they were even stronger military men and, and maybe even understood the facts on the ground more about exactly if, if an engagement would occur, that they don't appeal and don't reveal themselves in Israeli society as the tough guy that you need right. for security. Isn't that, is, I mean, it, it really is or, weird. Uh, the aura that BB has comes from a lot of things. His military career was certainly distinguished, but you're right, it doesn't match the others. He, but his, the pride he gives Israelis when he stands up to the UN and eloquently puts Israel's case forward, the pride Israelis feel when he stands in the well, you know, in, of, of the Senate, in, in, you know, and, and, and speaks to a joint session of Congress, that is enormously helpful to him. They see how foreign leaders respect him, and they do, because he has a formidable intelligence. You know, he's been referred to as an intellectual by many who have the credentials to make that determination. He is, is, is well-spoken. He's a brilliant advocate on the world stage. And he has built up all these relationships with foreign leaders over the years. So Israelis do in, you know, invest in him the trust that, uh, that he, they, he believes, certainly, he has, uh, he, has, he has garnered over the years. So in other words, when it came to actual governing and to actually being involved uh, in, a di- in a diplomatic uh, field of play, Gans and Barak, and, and they dropped the ball. They didn't have that 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 wherewithal, that presence, uh, that ability to turn a phrase, and maybe even let's, let's be honest, the mastery of English right. that was that was necessary uh, to speak in the UN, to speak in, in front of Congress, right. and uh, and that I think is something that which uh, you're right. It's something that. BB is Miyuchadin, but it would seem, like you say, um, we're we're probably uh, like you say, we don't know what the predictions are, but you know, I think both of us are in agreement that 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 we that we all love this country, we want it to work. There, there's so much commonality, there's so much ways that the people are bound together in Achdus that uh, that the, the tragedy of it not being able to function. And, and to be constantly stumbling over interesting uh, arguments uh, right. is, is, is really quite quite terrible. Anyway, we'll see what happens in the election. It'll be yes. lots of fun to talk. Yeah. Yes, we'll and we'll catch you, Mitzvahem, next time. Be well, everybody. Bye bye. Right. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 